Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. This is our summer 2021 retrospective. My name is Vry Kaiser. I am the managing content editor for Anime Feminist. You can find my freelance work on Twitter at writer Vry, or you can find the podcast I co-host about uh, trash media and engaging with why media fails over at Trash Pod. And with me today, once again, are Peter and Mercedes. Hello, I'm Peter Fobian. I am a uh, associate manager of social video at Crunchyroll and an editor here at Anime Feminist. On Twitter, I'm at Peter Fobian. Um, hello, I'm Mercedes, and I am also an editor here at Anime Feminist, as well as a journalist for places like the Anime News Network and But Why Though? And I am also a Japanese to English localization editor, proofreader, and QA. You can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses. So, if you are new to our retrospective format, what we do is usually we take our Premiere Digest, we start from the bottom and we work our way up. Because this is such a sequel-heavy season, and it also has some shows that have weird timing, we are actually going to skip over anything below feminist potential that we don't have updates on from the mid-season podcast. So if we don't mention it, you can go back to our mid-season and either listen to it or read the transcript. And it's basically doing, we're feeling the same way about it that we were then, more or less, because y'all, there are so many sequels. Also, as a side note, uh, we aren't, we won't be discussing Heike's story. This podcast, we are holding that off and counting it as part of the fall. So you will hear about it then. With that said, let's get started. Uh, the first title we wanted to check in about was The Great Jehi Will Not Be Defeated, which Mercedes, you were kind of not sure about last time, but I hear you have warmed up on it a lot. I think everyone who reads my reviews is probably very happy that I did. I was very worried last time, I believe, because Jahi, in her child form, has a shirt, and only a shirt, and some Crocs. And I am proud to say that, for once, anime is not trash. Because, like, thus far, nothing sexual has happened to her when she looks like a child. It's great. Hey. It's a revolutionary new thing called giving children autonomy. Um, and it's great. There's been, like, a few hiccups. Like, it actually hasn't been a largely sexual show. It's um, just really the misadventures of, like, a 20-something who happens to be a demoness trying to survive on Earth, which is a vibe that I think everyone can <laughs> relate to. Even the bath episode that they had recently wasn't really sexual. There was, like, a moment where, like, a character falls into a character's breast and it makes some weird noise. But, like, Jahi's pretty good. And I didn't expect to actually like this. Um, I expected to come down a lot harder on the show, but it's pretty solid. Nice. It does not have feminist potential, but that's all right. It's okay. Sometimes, sometimes people just want a a fun ensemble comedy that's not too yikesy, you know? Yeah, and and for a show that has its main character when she's like in her actual adult form, and like essentially like pleather daisy dukes and some straps that cover up the important parts it actually doesn't lewd her at all which was a shock but that's great like that's what more anime should probably do <laughs> 
Yeah, and if people are excited about it, it is gonna, it's just going straight through to 24 episodes, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna be too core. I know it's gonna be back to back or if it's just gonna be a straight 24. But yeah, it's gonna be 24 episodes and it's great. Nice. Well, that's good. Also wanted to touch on Girlfriend Girlfriend. I didn't get around to watching it, but Chiaki did. It's probably not going to be on our Rex list, but she had a good time watching it in terms of, I think she described it as, you know, it's it's Taco Bell. It is trash food, but it's maybe the healthiest version of the trash food that you could be getting. So <laughs> I, I know that while she definitely had the ongoing caveats that she talked about in her three episodes, she ended up watching it all the way to the end and having a good time. So maybe check back uh, on her right up there. And if that appeals to you, that's basically the experience all the way through. Let's see. Case study of Vanitas, we're not going to talk about because uh, I love it. It's feelings. Noe is my is my son. But it's basically doing, it's continuing to do the stuff that it was doing in mid-season. No more, no more assault stuff to worry about. My God, is it beautiful at being erotic and not just fan servicey, But it's staying the course, basically. So we'll look forward to talking about that at the end of next season, or actually no, in winter when the second core starts up. That jumps us up to Remake Our Life, which Mercedes, you really liked. I really liked this, and I did not expect to like this, because around episode eight, it took a sharp left into like a second time skip, and like didn't give closure, which I sometimes think closure can be a really good like mechanism in a series. Like you don't always have to have closure because a lot of times in real life you don't. Mm -hmm. But what it ultimately ended up doing was like, maybe what the millennial dream is, is like you time travel, you learn from your lessons and you do actually become the better person. I don't think it did it flawlessly, but it did it well enough that I actually secretly think this might be the best show I saw this season. Um, because it was pretty heartfelt. Like in the end, I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm on the floor typing my review for ANN crying because I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. It's actually really good. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll get, it's definitely a finale. I don't know if we'll get like the light novels in English. I would love them, but it's actually a really good show. That's just about like one young man kind of figuring it all out. And that's actually really nice to see. I know a lot of a lot of anime are about young men, but in this case, I was like, you know, it's a young man who like we see him cry, we see him emote, and that's actually like quite nice. Um, it was just really good. It was really good. I feel like I'm not doing it justice to how I felt because I still think about it like weeks after it aired. But it was really good. Nice. Um, and I encourage everyone to watch it. You mentioned some fan service in the first half. Did that taper off in the back half of the show? <laughs> yeah, once it got real sad, it tapered off for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. I can't be sure with anime yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah, episode eight, when it got real sad, and I was like, I don't really know what's happening. Fan service pretty much dropped out. Like, which, which I think was good, because like, it does a decade long time skip in really it's like final arc that like really eliminates any fan service as a possibility because then it's just like adulthood, <laughs> but it's good. It's yeah. I was, I was actually really thankful that like the character that had kind of been the focal point of fan service, which I think people online were trying to convince me, like she still has agency. And I was like, I don't know if she does. She actually shifts into a different position 
in relation to the main character. And it actually, it, it kind of is actually interesting. I wasn't expecting it. So yeah, light on the fan service in the last half, heavy on the tears. Let's go ahead and take a moment to talk about Fina Pirate Princess, because I think based on the first few episodes, it's complicated is definitely where it would go. Uh, so Peter, you haven't had a chance to talk about anything yet. Do you want to start with your feelings or shall I just, shall I get mine out of the way first? Because I dropped it three episodes in. I give me the tough one, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I actually, I also have kind of mixed feelings about it. I read uh, Nick. Nick actually put it as like his worst anime of the summer season, which I felt was maybe a little harsh, but I did agree with his reasoning for that, uh, where he said, I wish the series would just like play to its theme and let itself be fun. Coming in, I was kind of expecting, and I think the first couple episodes kind of promised a sort of fun pirate swashbuckling type romp where they go on adventures and try to find Eden Eldorado, whatever the hell it is. Um, I'm not sure anymore, but uh, it's become really kind of navel gazy with a, like a lot of like backstory uh, for for characters. I don't really I don't, like. I don't care what Abel's sad backstory is, even if the episode was really pretty. And they're doing like a lot of talking about what Fina is, um, which I feel like they don't need to do that much. And I think talking about what Fina is, is kind of preventing the story from actually developing her. So I, I, I'm hoping that at some point it just goes, okay, now we're in the final arc where we're all rushing to the place and we're going to do a lot of fighting and cool action stuff and have fun. And maybe Fina gets to, uh, I don't know, uh, show off some ninja tricks she learned or something, do something cool. Um, but yeah, so far it's just, uh, it's been like kind of a lot of mystery, uh, which I did not expect. And I think as a consequence, Fina has kind of just remained this like focus character who hasn't really gotten to do too much except get captured. Yeah, which is a bummer. I, I know I definitely dropped it because I don't mind if, you know, a, a female character is ends up, you know, in peril or needing to be rescued early on in the show or what have you, because growth is a thing and that's, fine but it felt like the show is was constantly stalling on getting started on her getting to do any growth and also her love interest sucks i really hate yukimaru i did not enjoy the comedy slapstick stylings i know that d has been having a good time overall watching the show but kind of frustrated with it not living up to its potential she talked a little bit about about uh how the show is theoretically doing some interesting stuff with how the the antagonists you know either see fina as like a demon or a goddess and then all the good guys are the people who see her as like a complicated person and that's something but also she keeps getting sidelined and damseled in her allegedly own story and there's not a lot of female characters who matter uh and apparently a bunch of them may or may not get killed off so Oh, yeah. That was, like, my least favorite one of the series. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with D. I mean, at the same time, it's really fun to watch still. The anime's gorgeous, and I feel like watching it is kind of um, almost nostalgic, because it was from, it feels like it's from the 90s or something, where anime just, you know, kind of had a lot of people working on them, and only it was kind of a unusual when one had budgetary or staffing issues or maybe not unusual but that was something you'd actually recognize about the series rather than expect 
Um, I can't, I have not identified a single cut corner in this series. It's gorgeous. Uh, so in that way, I just kind of feel like I don't have to constantly be reminded that, uh, that anime often has production issues for, uh, various not great reasons watching this show. So in that way, I, I have enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It yeah. definitely desperately wants to be an adult swim anime from like 2004, that that is very much the vibe I got from it. But <laughs> Jason I'm... Marco said, "Give me, give me a classic." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad it's at least a fun time, even if it seems to also uh, have a very loose grasp of the girl power thing it thinks it's going for. So we'll check back in on it when it finishes and see if it manages to write the course to some degree at the end. Would that be in our, our fall mid-season? <laughs> God, I don't even know, because it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Why did it have to premiere at such a weird time? So many anime are doing that this season. Yeah, we'll I do think it, it, it does. Uh, the I think it kind of, I, I have to watch the whole thing before really forming an opinion on it. Whether it it's like something I enjoyed that kind of got a slow start and meandered for a bit, or uh, just kind of like never hit what it looked like the series was going to become because it was a bunch of really cool pirate stuff starting off. Well, on the subject of shows that nailed their landing, Sunny Boy was really good. <laughs> mm. uh, kind of nailed the it? landing. Well, okay, so I think this the last... I'm not upset in that I think the last episode doesn't counteract any of the themes of the show. I think it's unnecessary in that a lot of the stuff it... So the show climaxes in episode 11. It, you know, it's this really beautiful series about kind of the terror of growing up and learning to have agency and feeling like your life is predestined for you and also optimistic nihilism because nothing matters, there's no meaning and isn't that beautiful because we all managed to find each other in this moment. I thought it was 11 really good episodes that are beautifully artistically designed and you know, even when it wasn't emotionally impactful, it was always sort of intellectually interesting. On Twitter, I compared it to the 2003 Kino's Journey, which is about the highest compliment I can pay this kind of show. Mm. And at the end of episode 11, it kind of has this setting off on a journey finale and they play the theme song and it's full of feelings and my heart was full. And it's a perfectly good ending to the show. And then episode seven is about, is set back in the real world. I have seen some people say that they liked the more bittersweet element of it. You know, we weren't able to change anything, but we still chose to come back to the real world and there's value in that. And I, I can see getting that out of the show and I respect that. I think that I preferred the more open ending of 11 because Everything that happened in 12 was kind of implied, but it just didn't feel necessary, I guess. Yeah, that's my feeling. I, I, like, I don't feel like the last episode did anything that I felt like I needed to see after the episode before it. Mm. I felt like, like the ending of the penultimate episode was literally like a perfect ending for the series. I don't think I really liked how the final episode kind of centered things around Nagara. Like, I don't know, I kind of got the feeling... It, it, before that, the series was about all of the characters. Um, 
but in in the end it really kind of centered it around like nagara specifically needing to overcome like his own like shinji akari moment or whatever where mm. he decides to that to like struggle and live and be optimistic and everything uh rather than that just being kind of a you know like all the characters sort of fighting against the uh their own emotional inertia or whatever. I mean, he is the main character, I guess, but I before that, it felt like more of an ensemble cast. Uh, and everybody had their own sort of perspective at looking at this. And then at the end, it's mostly just about Nagara having to deal with it, right? Like, I, I guess it's about let him letting go of his crush kind of thing, which which was an ending I respect. But I, pre- yeah, I also preferred that in 11, it ends on this strong note of saying goodbye to the ensemble. And the fact that Nagara's platonic friendship with Mizuho is the real central relationship of the show is really cool. But then like, I, I don't know, in the last episode, I got the feeling when she walked away, they were never going to see each other again. Like, they were just like, yeah, we still see like, like, we remember each other. Um, but like, it almost felt like it said they needed to not use each other as crutches or something. I got the feeling mm-hmm. that they were kind of like saying goodbye. Oh yeah, definitely. But I just mean in general, I, you see basically no shows that really emphasize a platonic relationship between a boy and a girl. Yeah, that's true. I think a, a lot of sh- shows Mizuho would have, uh, gotten an upgrade to, to girlfriend after, uh, stuff happens, but, uh. That's true. I also didn't like how in the final episode, I think one of the cool things about the penultimate episode was, I don't think it it kind of like showed you the positives of the crazy world they were into. Uh, And like, uh, you know, cause it's, it's messed up, but like, especially with um, uh, Rajdani, he like really loved that world. And I, I felt like their leaving was stronger for the fact that they were kind of giving up, you could have the perspective that it was like a good place for this kind of uncertainty of the real world. Almost the world they left is a more uncertain and scary place than the one that they were leaving. And then in the episode after that, uh, it kind of established that everything had gone to shit and their leaving was definitely the right choice because everybody else was like super fucked. And that just felt like it felt like it undermined the, them like really, like uh, stepping into an uncertain future in the last episode. I mean, I didn't super get that impression. It sounded like Rajdani was still quite enjoying uh, his life. He just, he he had just also, you know, changed shape and become something else, which was where his character arc was going anyway. But yeah, it's definitely more, uh, it, it definitely is. It really brings the focus down someplace else than where we had been escalating and escalating which i can respect artistically but i didn't need it yeah yeah i think that's just how i feel about the last episode <laughs> i didn't need mm-hmm. it <laughs> yeah but uh yeah sunny boy is really freaking good yeah um uh let's see what I, i'm actually a little bit behind on kageki shoujo <gasps> still i haven't watched the last three episodes so mercedes you go yes kageki shoujo was really good it's really 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 good yeah. Did it end in a good place? It ended in a good place. It did something that I actually like, which is ended in a good place that would allow for like Kageki Shoujo, the second curtain. That's what I'm calling like the second <laughs> season, right? It's got to have I, a little tagline. Because um, we don't know if there's a second season. There's more manga. There's a lot more they could do. It ended in a place that allows it for a second season, but also was like, and ending enough that, like, you can imagine what might happen, say, with, like, when they 
do the graduation performance. Um, I liked it. I really liked it. I think it was a great ride the entire way through. It's not perfect, but I don't, I think, I think people have to stop looking for perfection in media because it's never going to happen because it's made by humans. Hmm. And like we by proxy are not perfect creators. What I think it did well was I think it told a shoujo drama that also felt very true to life. And I actually really found myself like really anticipating it every week and really excited. The last three episodes I think are the strongest because they really show off a few different characters and there's some queerness in it, mm. which is great. I mean, it's, it's queerness that actually is more tangential to a character than it is like overt queerness, but that's good. I really liked it. I think it's a really great show and I think it's one of the standouts of summer 2021. I think there is definitely a marked shift from when it goes, when it changes over from the seinen run to the shoujo run, you know? And I think as the shoujo stuff is engaging with less fraught topics, but also seems sure of itself as a character drama. And I think that's a certain trade-off and I respect it trying to swing for the fences in a respectful way. But as we discussed at the mid-season, it was a mixed bag. So I kind of like it going uh, the route it does. And I will say, like, actually, ironically, because one of my bigger issues was kind of how they handled Ayako's disordered eating. And she, my girl, my precious child, gets a second swing at the end. And it's actually a really beautiful episode that talks about, like, you know, realizing in the moment that, like, someone was in love with you that also happens to be your same gender. And it's this really beautiful moment that empowers her. Like she uses the power of this queer love that her friend had for her prior to coming to Coca to like give this really stunning performance. And I mean like genuinely stunning kind of breathtaking, very dramatic performance that like, I didn't know was going to happen. And like the voice actor certainly carries and it's a really powerful moment. And so I think, Kageki Shoujo fumbles it a lot less once it kind of moves away from melodrama into just like mundane day-to-day drama. Let's all keep our fingers crossed for season two, which we don't have to do for Aquatope on White Sand because it has carried right on into the second core. We have 13 episodes now. It's really good. It's really good. Episode 12 made me weep like a child. (laughs) It's really good. It's just really good. (laughs) It is impressive how... I like the first episode of of the new core, you know, mm-hmm. but but it is impressive how the first 12 feel like a complete story that you could just take on its own if you wanted. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually really quite artful that it's like that because like the first 12 episodes, I, because um, I'm still reviewing Aquatope. I, one of the things in like episode 13, there's this different energy, right? Because we're not at Gamma Gamma Aquarium anymore. It's like, the kid gloves have kind of been taken off. Like Kukuru is clearly older. Like I, they don't, I don't really know how much time ahead episode 13 is because it kind of has this sense of timelessness that like, this could be a matter of a year. This could be a little bit longer. I get the feeling it's a little bit longer only because like clearly some of the other folks from Gamma Gamma had been working there for a minute. Yeah. It's a couple of months to a year. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting, though. And it has this different energy that, like, 
the first core is very much so, I guess I should say the first half is very much so about Kukuru and Fuka as children. And this new one is very much so about them as adults, or at least as young women. And it's really good. It's a really good first episode. I like that Kukuru goes from being director to like schlubbing it in the PR department. (laughs) Which yeah. she hates. She hates. She doesn't get it. I like that Chiu, who I really liked Chiu in her episode. I like that she is still kind of snotty and kind of stuck up a little about, you know, she gets to work with the animals, but Kukuru, who from her perspective has always had these kids' gloves on and have been playing with these animals, kind of gets put in her place from her perspective. It's a lot of good, complex stuff happening. I'm really hyped. To see yeah. where it goes. Yeah, it's definitely got that Shiro Bako energy in this mm. second half, mm-hmm. where it's about, you know, young women entering the workforce and all of the shit work that comes with that yeah. and the frustrations when your dream isn't immediately wonderful. Very much so. And it's still a beautiful show. Episode it's 13 really was gorgeous. I mean, like, you know, and I, I wish I knew a better term than magical realism because I do realize that the phrase magical realism is quite fraught when used outside of, if I'm correct, a like Hispanic context. I tend to use fabulism. I find it's a good okay. broader umbrella. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the fabulism aspect is yet to be seen in episode 13. Like we haven't seen the little, oh, I think it's a Kishimuna I don't know, the little fish head eating God. We've yet to see like that kind of return and kind of the magic of Gamma Gamma, but I'm really excited. Aquatope is where it's at. It's probably not going to be gay, but you know, well, you, that's okay. You you hold that ship in your heart. I'm, it's a good I'm, ship. I am selling, I am sailing the seven Yuri Seas on the SS Fukuru or Kuka. Take whichever pairing you want, people. <laughs> I'm sailing the seas. I might be the only person sailing the seas at this point, but I'm still here. <laughs> real, they, they really like lean the hell into that thing, and then they just they slap you with uh, "I'm your big sister." Like, uh, like I think they're on seven or eight times now, where you're like, "Oh, but are they actually going to do it?" And then she's yeah. like, "I'm de- I'm like your big sister, right? And, you, you son of a bitch." And like, then they had the audacity to be like, "Oh, Kukuru, you had a twin that died at childbirth," and you're like, "Wait, okay, okay, so is is Fuka gonna step in and be the twin she didn't get, or are they gonna kiss?" I don't really know at this point but you know it's good stuff it's it's a good story just about young women at least at base but mm-hmm. if i have to hear the words sister again i'm gonna <laughs> flip a table <laughs> yeah no respect that gets us through tech the uh, new premieres of the summer season let's get into sequels oh how do we want to do this uh i guess let's start at the bottom and go up uh peter that's a lot to that's too much to cover but in a in a minute or two uh is there anything you'd like to say about tropical rouge precure a show i really liked and simply have not had time to watch um well to be honest i kind of fell off too because I, I don't I, I don't even know how long the series is gonna be uh and when you're probably kinda, about 50 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Standard. I, I guess that's kind of like the pretty cure standard but like when you're staring down the barrel that many episodes you like there's no ending in sight uh you kind of sometimes it's hard to keep up with it you know what i mean Mm-hmm. uh unless it's literally your job uh mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I can say that recently they had uh, a pretty outstanding episode, which I think was 29. Sakuga Blog did a really good piece on how it had kind of like this new, I think they called him generational talent director. I, mm. I think it was specifically a her, um, but uh, don't quote me on that, actually. Or just read the Sakuga Blog piece. It's good, please. Um, and I can definitely see like they're heading into some like late game stuff with uh, them talking about i don't know like the legendary cure which was i guess like the first tropical cure or something like that um it's not quite clear yet it's definitely still doing the thing it was doing early on being like funny having good action still uh, slaps the girls still are great yeah, yeah yeah i for one am very happy that uh the mermaid ended up being able to become a cure too I think. Yes. Yeah, there is kind of like an area where the character who provides the power to the magical girls, or usually a mascot, but not always, is kind of like is able to contribute. But I think like they had a really good character arc with uh, God. I can't remember her name right now. Laura, uh, Princess Laura, yeah, Laura, Laura Kira yeah. Lemur, the best. Yeah, Shout yeah. out to my girl. <laughs> I thought that was a good story arc. She was hanging out with the humans and kind of got jealous of their feet and then <laughs> was able to kind of be able to run around and punch bad guys with the rest of the girls, which uh, was very good. Chef's it's kiss. Very good. It's yeah. very good. All right. So if you like Precure, you'll continue to like Precure. It hasn't yeah, yeah. taken any, <laughs> oh, it hasn't taken any extremely weird late game twists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, I think they're starting to develop some stuff with the villain, which might be pretty interesting. I don't want to necessarily say queer yet, but uh, and like not in like the I guess the the very rough uh, history of Magical Girl uh, queerness and villainy, uh, but kind of like she might have a, a semi tragic backstory, which I guess is pretty fraught in and of itself. But I think they're definitely trying to humanize her through that rather than. Uh, kind of uh, borrow visual aesthetics uh, to right. indicate she's a villain. If you know mm, yeah. Okay. 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 All right. To your eternity, which I hear kind of fell apart towards the end. I once again have simply not had time. I think falling apart's a strong word. I definitely think that its production was still pretty good, like above average, I'll say uh, as far as like the seasonal anime you'd watch. It just didn't maintain that level of like majesty that it had in maybe the first six or seven episodes, and especially mm. episode one. Its final episode was every bit as good as episode one, both from like a narrative, uh, like sound design and an animation quality perspective. I thought they found a really good place to end it, um, or at least uh, end it until we get season two next year. It's hard to talk about the series itself because its premise is very loaded. And kind of just describing what happens is essentially spoiling the fate of many characters that Fushi encounters. So I'm, I'm never quite sure how much I should tell people. But I think it's a very interesting story structure. Uh, Oima yeah. is, is really kind of galaxy-braining with this, uh, this series. It, it's one of those big feeling series about the meaning, uh, about how death gives life meaning. And, you know, that's... That's not a ride everybody wants to take, but it yeah. is valuable to be out there. Mm-hmm. I, I'll probably circle back around to it at some point. And we are getting another season at, eventually, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think next year they're picking it back up. Okay. Anything to say about uh, Tokyo Revengers or Slime Season 2? 
Um, Tokyo Avengers, I guess I gotta say, Hinata definitely just kind of, uh, she shows up occasionally, but she's not really the, she's kind of like the precipitating incident. Like, you can't time travel without having to save a girl, right? That's the only reason. <sighs> but once, it, I, that's not even resolved, but it kind of expands into this big gangster tragedy that happened. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to describe it. Uh, the main character, Takamichi's trying to like fix this really bad event that happened 12 years ago that really kind of negatively affected all these, uh, like everybody in the lives of, I, I don't want to say like, they're like a Yankee kind of youth gang. So uh, I, I don't really want to like villainize them. It's, they, they eventually become Yakuza or something like it. I, I think, and, and the way they do business is kind of informed by that in the present. Assuming they're even still alive, depending upon which character you're talking about. I definitely think that the, this show kind of becomes one of those series where it's like all boys and the boys have these very kind of emotionally resonant relationships with one another, which uh, definitely appeals to a certain kind of viewer. They, uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, Takamichi really soulfully respecting the, uh, the rebellious spirit of a lot of these other boys, um, which I think is a definitely... Uh, what has caused the series to develop such a big uh, following among women. It's very homoerotic. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that it's definitely got that going for it. And I I myself have really enjoyed how it's kind of developed. It kind of had a huge cliffhanger in the end, and I don't think they've said anything about a second season yet. If it ends where it ended, it's really brutal. Um, but I can definitely see how that would uh, successfully sell some manga because people would want to know what the hell happens after that crazy moment. I feel like there's something to be written about Tokyo Revengers prominence in a world where like Yakuza, the franchise is very popular and there's kind of this Yakuza and house husband and this kind of cuddly Yakuza fiction boom. But (laughs) I am not, uh, I'm just spinning thoughts idly and I have nothing more to say of that because Tokyo Revengers was not for me. Yeah. I do think there's, there's something to that. Although I would say Tokyo Revengers is actually maybe even a bit harsher because uh, a lot of like the stuff, uh, the the content of the story is when they're still kids and they're kind of just like rowdy. I mean, they, they definitely are dealing with a lot of brutal stuff, but it, it's very kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm just going to reference series that people are unfamiliar with, but like Shonen Junai Gumi, uh, the, the predecessor to uh, Great Teacher Onizuka, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then when it goes to the future, when they're all like official gangsters, everyone seems to be fucking miserable. Um, and it gets really dark because I think at that point they're like fully criminals and uh, are usually led by some uh, kind of like kind of a, I don't want to say a malignant force among what is essentially kind of a malignant organization, but uh, like being in these positions and having to do the things they do has really ruined their lives. Like, right. Which is an interesting contrast from, from some other mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. socially and morally, like some of these guys are like hollowed out and miserable. And, and that's why Takamichi feels like he really needs to save them. I mean, well, I guess we'll see if it gets more, Man, I keep saying that I wish shonen anime that doesn't care about female characters would just not have female characters in it, and then I would respect them just infinitely more. Like new game, but for boys. Right, be careful. Don't curl that monkey's paw. Don't (laughs) curl that monkey's paw. No, you're right. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) Shonen Jump announces its first girlless series. Okay, uh, yeah, but so Reincarnated as a Slime, season two. Uh, was this the one with the genocide or have we moved past that? Uh, it, 
Yeah, we had part two of the one with the genocide. So yeah, okay. uh, uh, Rimuru is a war criminal now. Uh, oh no. They, uh, no, but you know nobody thinks that in the series. What he did was what he needed to do, right? It was absolutely necessary. Uh, he's still a lovable slime who just wants the best for all of his friends, uh, even though he killed like ten thousand people who had surrendered to him, and then used their soul to cast infernal magic. Oh, Rimuru, no. Yeah, but they defeated the bad guy. Uh, so everything's great. All right. It putzed so- <laughs> around for a long time. I think like three-fourths of the series was just them talking about how they were going to kick the bad guy's ass, but then the last three episodes, they had a lot of fighting. It was a very weird season for me. Slime Diaries is where it's at, though. Okay, gotcha. So if you're disappointed with Slime proper, maybe give Slime Diaries a go instead. Yeah, I think that technically occurs like chronologically before Rimuru did the war crime, too. So it's kind of like... I- if you ever watch uh, Today's Menu with Emmy, a family, it's like, to, it is, what that is to fate, it is to slime. I never thought there would be a day where I had the thought, wow, a slime broke the Geneva Convention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've heard some things about the Dragon Quest composer. Oh, um, yeah. That, that was that a dark did... joke. We're moving on. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Mm. Uh yes. Let's just move into another disappointment, which is the second season of My Life as a Villainess, and I did not care for it. Mm. Is it bad? It's It has a few fun episodes and moments, but boy, can you tell that it was a, a cash grab. I know mm. that the, the light novels kind of... I don't know if they get good again, but I know they find their footing in as far as the author invents, oh, there was a fortune lover too that she never played. And now what will she do with this new plot at at the ministry, uh, the, you know, the ministry, but this second episode or the second series is just wheel spinning nonsense where let's redo the kidnapping plot. And also let's give a lot more spotlight to Giorno and Keith, objectively the worst love interests in her polycule. And it just, and the girls are extremely sidelined. I didn't actually hate the the new dude Rufus, aside from the whole bed pinning bullshit. But is this is this the series that has serious dick in it? Is that what his name was? It, Which, it, is yes. this the one? That's not how it's pronounced. But yes, oh no, oh no. a lot of kissing. Uh... Uh, Katarina without asking first oh, either. No, that's not great. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah, I th- and the 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 Keith shit in the f- season finale where he victim where he forces a kiss on her and then blames her for for looking that for you know for looking too appealing. I fucking you, why? Yeah, he said you need to learn to be more careful around men or something like that. It's like oh, well, does she? <laughs> maybe maybe somebody else needs to learn something. Well, that just sucks. <laughs> there is a nice episode given to Nicole, who is uh, who has been completely bland and featureless up to that point. But Alan, the best boy, is sidelined. There's not really a lot of time spent with Maria or Mary. And it, I hear it's better than the actual light novels for, for this stretch. I hear it rearranges some stuff in um, ways that's at least more appealing and does some neat stuff with the side stories. But yeah, it's... It's a waste of time that actively detracted from my opinion of the first season. It's really a shame that like it went that way. There's a movie. Mm. 
Yeah, there's going to be a movie. Yep. God. God. Who in the universe curled that monkey's ball? Oof. It was very popular, Mercedes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot capitalism. You're that's right. right. Yes. That's, that's who curled the monkey's paw always. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Well. Okay. Uh, all right. We got to do the thing now. We got to talk about Dragon Maid. Should I go first? Because. I think you want to. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was one of the people in camp this is it's i like season one i was one of the people in camp it has this troubling content but on the whole i felt like it was there was more wholesome found family stuff um (laughs) with 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 our two moms and their daughter than there was uh creepy pedophile shit and it it was a very precarious balance uh the ova is like was the Valentine's OVA is the epitome of the two polar ends that are Dragon Maid, where there's the I need to bleach my skin off uh, section with the chocolate roofies, and then there's the really nice Hot Springs chapter. Uh, so that kind of set me on the edge a little bit. And then season two came out, and by episode three, uh, not only had we had whatever, there's jiggle titties. I can live with that. Uh, but once we had Kobayashi grow a dick, which made her magically horny, which then made her magically horny for her daughter when she was sitting in her lap, uh, which I don't look, I'm sure people are saying that I am a triggered liberal cuck or whatever, but I feel mostly insulted for single fathers that, that the mere presence of having a dick means that you want to bone your child every time they sit on you. Or indeed for dick havers in general, who are apparently just raging rape machines, constantly holding it down at every moment of the day. Or also if we wanted, you know, apparently not having a dick means that you can't possibly be horny for a woman. Because there are people who do not have dicks who are extremely horny. And I just... And then, so after I sat through that hell, I went... I happened to be at a bookstore where I opened the... uh, No, don't tell me you opened the manga. I opened the most recent volume of the manga and right next to what looked like a very nice story about Toru and um, Emmy kind of working out their relationship and maybe some of the romantic tension that's maybe there a little bit. Uh, there was a short story about, uh, about Lukoa giving Shota a uh, tongue and spitting in his mouth. And then I decided, fuck Dragon Maid forever. It's never going to get better. It's only going to be me increasingly deluding myself that the gross parts will not be gross. And I think there is this tendency that some people have where there, we, Kyoani went through a horrible tragedy. It is awful. And I am so glad to see them back on their feet and working again. And I really respect the, the culture of, that Kiwani wants to foster where it spends a lot of time on teaching animators and providing support for them, you know, in terms of childcare, uh, in terms of more reasonable working hours for the industry. I re- I can respect the hell out of that and not need to champion this show that they've made. And it's also got the baggage that the first season that I ended up liking and that downplayed so much of the gross shit is the last work of a man who's no longer with us. And so that ghost is haunt, you know, 
that's haunting this new series sorry go ahead i think it's the two things can exist at once like right like what happened to kyoani because i i remember that day because i was at my desk in fukushima japan watching the footage as the building burned like i vividly remember you know seeing the death count and seeing people and so it's great that like in this very literal allegorical way, they've risen like a phoenix from the ashes, like Kyoani's back and they're doing it. I will also say, and I'm going to call my past self out because I do like some of cool Kyoshinja's work. I think I said that at mid-season. That I was like, yeah, one of my favorite manga by is by him. Mm-hmm. I will say that the thing that also exists is a lot of his work is really gross. A lot of his work is very misogynistic and is also really transphobic. There's no excuse for that. There's just no excuse for that. And it deeply reflects, because I do believe Kul Kyoshinja identifies as male. It really reflects this internalized and externalized misogyny and trans misogyny that is in a lot of Dragon Maid. Like, Dragon Maid is a sweet series. And I like the first season a lot. Dragon Maid is also a series in which we're supposed to find it funny that an adult woman is constantly attempting to sexually assault and by proxy of his age, rape a child. And that's not a joke. Like, that's not funny. Nor is the first few episodes of Dragon Maid wherein Kobayashi does gain a penis and, like, all of a sudden, like, almost commits bad sexual acts. It's not, it's just not funny in 2021 or ever. So I'm kind of with you, Rai. Like, it's not great. Um, it's not great at all. And like, it really says a lot that cool Kyoshinja keeps getting away with this and also keeps getting allowed to make anime or have anime made that his name is attached to that also keep doing this. And like, this is all of his works, right? This is all of his manga is like this. Like there's always the the rule for a lot of his manga is like, and this is rather gross. The larger a, the larger a character that he is, drawn and written as female the larger their bust is like the more sexual they are which is gross like throw that in the garbage and it's just like it's a shame that dragon maid season two kind of is like yikes the series (laughs) because it's just i don't know it's just not great and i have a lot of thoughts too and i i know a lot of people have mentioned that the, the stuff with ilulu's backstory is really heartfelt and i believe that i fully believe that but it's like once the scale tipped for me, mm. I could never see the 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 good parts of the series as anything but a flimsy scrim over this stuff that they are actively marketing and will never stop doing. Well, and, and a lot of my issue, too, is like people often say with anime, like, oh, well, they toned it down from the manga. Y'all, that doesn't make it better. That just means that the manga is out there existing. And like, I mean, Dragon Maid, they toned it down from the manga a lot. They toned down a lot of the sexualization, a lot of the unnecessary fan service. Because like, there's fan service that like, we enjoy. There's fun boob jokes in season one. They're genuinely funny. Yeah, but like a fun boob joke is not Lukoa trying to like, marshmallow heaven shoda that's not funny he's a child and like i know someone out there's gonna be like well mercedes <laughs> like age of consent in japan is 13 fuck off with that 
it that doesn't <laughs> i'm sorry am i allowed to say a swear i don't know if i could take that back you can say a swear you can okay. say a swear mercedes yeah fuck off with that though like it's not funny like and I, and and it's it's really a shame that like i know q and i'm sure there were things in place like that they were already on tap to do season two but it's just once that switch is flipped you're like oh god oh god <laughs> like it's not it really detracts from what could have just been like a great story yeah and it's a shame yeah how about you peter you made it all the way to the end right uh yeah Uh, i do want to like i'll start off by saying well two things first i i totally agree with you about the 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 defenses for dragon maid were like kind of psychotic like uh just reading them it's like what the fuck are you even saying Uh, or where somebody would say like i i think this content is really bad i don't know why kiwani made it and they're like do you know what kiwani's been through it's like these are two entirely different subjects and conflating them, it seems like you're weaponizing what happened to Kyoani so that you get what you want. Uh, and even though this is entirely unrelated to that, so I yeah I do not appreciate not so much psychotic as as chuddy, the chud yeah. for days. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually am like offended by people bringing that up in the context of criticisms toward Dragon Maid. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that's first off. Second off, I really did enjoy season two of Dragon Maid. Um, yeah, all the content around Elulu, I'm definitely just like, get this character out of my face. I, I don't think she really has any, I can't remember any part of the series that she was in that I really <laughs> thought like, oh, I'm so glad this character's here. It did have good moments. I really liked the character development between Toru and Elma. I thought they had a really great character arc in it. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff that you can enjoy from season one, but, uh, I pretty much everything YouTube brought up is, uh, spot on, uh, with a lot of the weird shit. Uh, they definitely, if they wanted, they could have cut out the entire dick saga entirely. Uh, it, it didn't affect anything. It was like a quarter of an episode worth of content. You could have just removed it and uh, none of us would ever have to talk about it. I don't understand why it got put in. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why, like, cause like, I, surely, surely someone at Kyoani was probably like, you know, this really isn't great. In 2021, especially, it's really. I mean, and I know they were working on it before, but like this, someone had to have been like, "This is probably not really great." Mm-hmm. To it's kind of transphobic, and by kind of, I mean a lot, and it's just not great for anyone. Like, surely that could have been cut, and nothing would have been lost. Yep, nothing would have been lost. It's just a shame, and and it's a shame that someone out there is like, "Well, did you know that Kyoani?" went through a disaster yeah yeah we do but like transphobia doesn't get to exist because of a disaster like sexualizing children doesn't get to exist because of a disaster it's such a it really detracts from the fact that i believe the death total was 36 that 30 people 36 people were murdered like you don't get to just leverage their lives Mm. as some weird social anime otaku currency so that you can have really offensive things in anime like i believe the kids say touch grass like <laughs> so go do that whoever out there is like hmm, well caroline and rose like a phoenix from the ashes so they get to have sexualization of children or weird jokes about genitalia yeah it's it bums me out let's end on a slightly happier note i feel 
contractually obligated because we dunked on it just a little bit in our Madoka retrospective. I actually quite like Magia Record. How is it? So it's a mess because it's based on a mobile game. Uh, and the oh, only no. series based on a mobile game that's ever not been a mess to, in my experience, was Princess Connect. And we'll see how season two goes. But I... The things it succeeds at, I quite like. I really enjoy uh, Inu Curry's take on the universe. I like that the ensemble cast means it's kind of taking this tack of if the original Madoka was this very this story about girls feeling very isolated by the system and how these miscommunications make them feel sort of alone in this terrifying world until the end then Magia Record is about how, given the existence of this very unfair system, how do these girls begin to band together to fight it? Oh, love a female friendship story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the really good parts of Magia Record honestly feel like the best parts of Rebellion. Oh. And it can be a frustrating struggle because the series at once is unwelcoming to newcomers because there is a lot there's actually a fair amount of appearances by the cast of the original series but also it feels weirdly repetitive if you know madoka because a big part of the first core is that it builds up to the main character finding out about witches so it's this extremely bizarre uh, push and pull where you kind of have this question of uh, who is this for then but then you have like the first episode of season two which is about a timeline uh, uh is about one of you know madoka uh homura's rewinds where they're fighting the uh the girl with the the, the witch with the clotheslines where they have this beautiful breakthrough that actually what what, they're they're much more powerful the three of them if they work together and they go into it knowing that magical girls turn into witches but you know homura goes after madoka saying well i'm going to go and i guess sayaka you you can run and hide from this but i'm going to go and if you don't come after me then nobody will and so it, it ends on this beautiful note that like that they don't have anybody but each other, but maybe each other is enough. And episodes like that are just, they're so good. And it's at moments like that individual character arcs where Magia Record truly feels like a worthwhile experience and often a very beautifully animated one. Okay. Okay. So it can be frustrated in, in that through the first season you're like why are you introducing me to eight different girls and i don't remember i don't remember any of these people's names or what they do i don't know but it looks pretty and i guess that's enough and then there will be some character episodes that are genuinely good and either that's kind of either that is enough to be satisfying in the sort of slurry mess that is the whole thing or it's not the second the second season has only been eight episodes because I think there have been some production issues, but they are quite a step up from the first one. And there is going to be a third and apparently final season coming in winter. We'll see how that does. We'll see if it make, it's the kind of series that 
wouldn't make my rec list in a strong season, but in in a, in a slightly more threadbare one, I would definitely give it a shout because I've enjoyed watching it, even though it's messy. Okay, but messy can be good, and it sounds like yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't I really like seeing the rules of the Madoka franchise as run by t- two women creators. They're not. Uh, like, obviously, they're visual artists first and foremost, but Inu Curry have been coming up with some really interesting thoughts. Okay. So, yeah, that's Magia Record. It's it's doing its best. Aren't we all, though? Yeah. Yes, I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah. We're all doing our best on this witch labyrinth of a planet. I'll be real. You could probably watch the uh, some of the episodes from the first season at, like, 1.25 speed. That would <laughs> probably be fine. I feel like I'm going to have to to remember what the hell's going on a year later. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. There's only like five characters who actually matter. Oh good. You're good. There's there's not there's not Madoka, there's not Homura, uh and then there is Yeah, fuck. I could tell I could right. There's the there's the OG characters, there is the cult leader uh and Ooh. Oh yeah, by the way, there's a magical girl cult. Yeah, it, it invents this thing called Doppels, which is allegedly about how magical girls can turn into witches for short periods of time and weaponize that. Uh, and it's reversible, but obviously, you know, this is a double-edged sword. Like I said, there's interesting ideas here. I don't know if it knows what it's doing, but it's got a lot of ideas. And I can respect that in my fancy big-budget fanfic. I was going to say, we stand a messy anime that might not know whatever is going on. We love it great yay all right well we did it it's an hour good job team if you are wondering at home why we didn't talk about like godzilla singular point or b stars once again the netflix anime will be receiving their own episode next year uh so don't worry about that all right It'll be fun, Peter. I'm reading yeah. the Beastars manga. It never stops. I've seen. I was, oh. Yeah, I was just going to say, if anyone wanted to know about Beastars, <laughs> just go read Vi's, like tweet thread. It never so, stops. Hoot and holler, y'all. Everyone's looking forward to hearing more of my Beastars takes when we talk about season two. Oh, yes. As I recall, they were very popular. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Everybody <laughs> loves my opinions on Beastars. <laughs> All right, so look forward to that, listeners. And in the meantime, if you liked what you heard or read here today, you can find more from us by going to animefeminist.com. If you really liked what you heard, consider tossing us a dollar a month on our Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist. I really cannot emphasize enough how much even that seemingly small contribution helps us to continue making new content on the page and in your eardrums. It's so we can pay our editors and our transcriptionists and our contributors and do do cool stuff like new recommendation pages and seasonal premieres. It really, we cannot do it without you. You can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist and we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. And until next time, because, oh, Lord, it's already fall. Mm. What? Take a nap and then maybe watch some more anime. You can always watch Johnny. Johnny.